Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 244. This podcast is all about taking a Royal Caribbean cruise, and sometimes people try Royal Caribbean, and they come from other cruise lines, and it's always interesting to compare and contrast experiences, especially when people come to the different conclusion than you do. On this week's episode, we're actually going to be talking to somebody, actually a friend of mine, who tried Royal Caribbean for the first time after years of taking Disney Cruise Line cruises, and we didn't exactly see eye to eye in terms of what the experience is all about. So I wanted to take an opportunity and talk about the different experiences between Royal Caribbean and Disney as we look at a friend of mine's cruise on Anthem of the Seas. And I also brought on another friend of mine, Billy from CruiseHabit.com, to also kind of weigh in on kind of where it all lays out and what all the the consensus is really when it comes to comparing and contrasting these two very popular cruise lines. Here we go. Inevitably, when you talk about cruising in general, you, comparisons are a natural fit. Oftentimes, we like to compare cruise line to cruise line. And obviously, here on Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, we're often comparing Royal Caribbean to other cruise lines across the industry. So, you might imagine, when I was scouring the internet in a 1995-style web surfing, clicking link to link to link, I came across a blog post by a revered friend of mine, someone who I held in such high regard, not because he's Canadian, but because he is a whiz with numbers, incredibly nice, and has a good appreciation for all things fish. And so when my dear friend wrote a comparison between Royal Caribbean and Disney Cruise Line, I couldn't wait to read it. And when I read it, boy, was my opinion changed. So on today's episode, <laughs> I wanted to invite uh, actually uh, the, the author of that blog post, Fred Hazelton, the master statistician from touringplans.com onto the podcast to talk about his recent Royal Caribbean experience and how it compares to a also recent Disney cruise experience. Fred, welcome to Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Matt, it truly is a pleasure to be here, but is it too late to back out? That was one heck of an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> a little intimidating, but I'm I'm ready to go. Let's let's do this for sure. There there you go. Now in in the in the interest of fairness, Fred, because I again I value Fred's friendship. I wanted to you know try to figure out a way to to kind of talk about our experiences, but also you know bring a referee on board, if you will, to kind of talk amongst the different talking points and kind of give a you know a third party kind of look at all of this. And of course, I turned to one of my very good friends. Uh, Billy Hirsch from CruiseHabit.com to uh, discuss. Billy has a great experience not only with Disney Cruise Line and Royal Caribbean, but also other cruise lines in the industry. And I thought he would be about as impartial a view as possible right before I paid him off before the episode. But Billy, welcome to the uh, Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast again. And now that I've received that uh, PayPal confirmation, Matt, thank you. Also, Fred, don't uh, don't be too optimistic. He often changes the introductions uh, after we record so just something to keep in mind but uh, glad to be here and uh, excited uh, excited to hear you both out so thank you absolutely and you know fred let's give some background first of all because i've known fred for a number of years fred works for uh, touringplans.com which is uh, primarily a website geared towards uh, helping folks figure out the best and more most optimal way to visit walt disney world and so fred you've uh, talked to us about your cruising background because obviously you've been going to disney parks for many 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 many, many years um but talk to us about your cruising background that led up to this cruise that you took on anthem of the seas 
Yes, well, that's true. The kind of core product that we have at Touring Plans is uh, helping people plan their Disney World vacations. But over the years, we've expanded that to include uh, Universal Orlando Resort and Disneyland in California and uh, the Disney Cruise Line. So we uh, we cover all the Disney Cruise Line itineraries. We have a pretty nifty price tracker for uh, for DCL. We cover all of the you know the content and stuff from from the ships and we have a, a working relationship with the unofficial guide to the Disney cruise line. And, uh, the author of those books, uh, Bob Selinger is, uh, also has a, a other series, um, uh, books in the series that cover various cruise lines as well. So we at tour Blaine, uh, touring plans, uh, dipped our foot into that, uh, pond. I guess that's a good pun. Um, <laughs> about, uh, about six or seven years ago, I believe. And, uh, so since then the, uh, the people at touring plans have been, uh, you know, Trying out the different uh, itineraries. Len Testa, our fearless leader, has done many more than I have, but uh, I'm up to about six or seven now, so I have a little bit of experience with uh, with cruising. That's right, and you've done six or seven. Is there only on uh, Disney, or was that also across other cruise lines as well? I've done of those. Se- I think I've done seven, and uh, all but one of those were with the Disney Cruise Line. Sorry, that's not true. I did the one with on the Anthem of the Seas, which we're going to talk about today. And then also in my past life, I was on a Carnival Cruise once. Oh, so really? I've done uh, three? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Th- that's, I, that's I learned a whole something new today. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I'd say so. So uh, you managed to go down to Anthem of the Seas, and uh, in in the purpose of the blog post that Fred wrote a review of, which I will post on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com in our show notes here, uh, Fred compared Anthem of the Seas to the Disney Fantasy, uh, which is one of Disney Cruise Line's newer ships in the fleet, and also Anthem is one of Royal Caribbean's newest ships on the fleet. And you took a eight night Bahamas cruise, and this was over. The uh, New Year's Eve holiday, am I right on that? That's correct. We left on December 30th from uh, Cape Liberty and uh, went to the Bahamas and back, yes. So you ventured, you took the family down from your igloo in uh, the Brit, the very, very frigid cold northern interior of Canada. And when your moose arrived at the border, you then drove down to New York. And uh, who did you take with you on this trip? We had the whole family, all five of us, uh, my wife Chantal and uh, our three boys, Bram, Alec, and Matisse. And that's one of the main reasons that we uh, we were able to do this kind of a comparison because one thing at Touring Plans that we don't have a lot of is um, comparison of the different itineraries and ships from the perspective of you know teenage boys. Just as coincidence would have it, we don't have a lot of people on the team that have that can satisfy that. So the fact that my kids will have you know, been able to do both put me in a bit of a nice situation that we could do a direct comparison. Nice. What kind of stateroom did you book for Anthem of the Seas? We had uh, an inside stateroom, two two inside staterooms for the five of us, which is the same as what we booked for the Disney Fantasy. Two inside staterooms. Cool. And let's and for the purpose of this podcast, what we're going to do is I'm going to let Fred start off. He and his blog post kind of did broken up by like categories, if you will, of experiences. And Fred, I'm going to let you. We'll go. You'll introduce the particular category. Talk about your experience, what you liked or didn't like, and how it compared between Disney and Royal Caribbean. I'll kind of give my response on what I've heard from you, and then Billy can weigh in on his thoughts on how it works there, because uh, I think that'll help everybody get a better sense of you know what the experience is all about. And, you know, it'll only involve a slight amount of yelling at each other, I think. <laughs> yeah, I tried to buy uh, Billy off before, but it's Canadian dollars. It's basically worth Yeah, I didn't know what those were. I thought <laughs> it was really confusing. 
<laughs> All right, Fred, start us off here. Okay, well, let's see. Let's start with the, the little kids, so the Lemon Under group. So back when we did the fantasy, our two of our three kids were in that age group, and they went and checked out uh, on the Disney fantasy. It's called the Oceaner Lab, I believe. And they uh, they checked that out, but didn't really spend a ton of time there. It wasn't their kind of main experience. They did go and, you know, partake in some of the activities, but didn't spend, uh, you know, every minute there. Um, so we got, you know, we, we definitely had some experience with that. Uh, and then we got to the anthem of the season and our kids were too old. So we just kind of took our, took a tour and tried to, you know, imagine uh, um, what it would be like for a kid under 11 to, to check out that area. And the, our first impression when we did that was we found it was kind of it, – it felt a little bit out of the way. We, find our, we found ourselves walking down a long, a long hallway and then reaching a bunch of kind of compartmentalized rooms, areas. And it felt, it felt quite crammed to us. Now, I realize that, you know, these are little kids and they probably don't care. And, you know, all the hallways feel big to them. But this is just kind of our experience as we walk down those halls. What we saw was very pleasant, very bright colors, cool playgrounds for the kids, um, you know, a decent amount of activities. But just kind of the overall sense we got from the place was it felt a little bit claustrophobic. So that's why um, I gave the I gave the nod in this category to the to the Disney fantasy. I don't think that's a huge surprise because, you know, Disney, obviously, that's kind of its core, you know, its core product is is uh, doing things for kids. So the the, the labs that they had set up um, just were, in, in my mind, were just cooler for, for the kids that age. Sure. So, and, you know, oh, sorry, please, uh, Judge, uh, we've got protocol here. I have to I, rebuttal. I'm, fi- I'm so glad you're finally using my title. Um <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, I'm wondering, you mentioned that the, the areas, um, it felt a little closed in. You thought they were just kind of cooler on, on DCL. And, and I'll admit, um, on for those that don't know, on Disney Cruise Line, on Embarkation Day, all of the children's areas uh, for all ages are open for people to tour, largely so that parents can feel comfortable. Um, but in my case, it's cause it's fun. Um, <laughs> but what I'm wondering is, uh, was your impression, uh, based on, um, like the layout and the look, or was it really what there was to do? And, and maybe I'm jumping the gun on the question. Uh, it was, it was a little bit of both, I would say, but I never got a sense that there wasn't enough to do. I mean, there seemed to be, you know, a, a decent amount of playground structures and, and things, things to do. The, the one thing I will say is that we did, we intentionally booked ourselves for a family trivia, uh, event in one of the areas. And when we got there, it was, uh, it was like this little tiny, um, room off to the side of the, this main hallway, almost like if you were in an office building and you had like a little meeting room for five people, it was that kind of a room. And I thought, well, well that's, well, it's kind of a strange feeling to go into this, you know, enclosed room to do this, uh, little trivia session. So that was kind of, you know, the, the impression that we got. Fair enough. Yeah, I you know I've so I came about it a little differently. Uh, when I cruised on Disney Cruise Line, I didn't have kids at the time, so obviously we didn't spend any time in this area, the the kids area. As uh, we had kids, we started going on Royal Caribbean, and I remember you know uh, when we first started cruising versus where we are now. I mean, Royal Caribbean has really upped its game with with its uh, child amenities, specifically the amount of space it dedicates towards uh, Adventure Ocean, which is the name of the uh, program for for kids on Royal Caribbean, and. 
you know, with every new class of ships, when we went from Voyager class to Freedom class to Oasis class and Quantum class, you know, we've seen Relicrimin offer more and more space. Um, you know, obviously we're talking about the smaller kids area over here, which you, you said, Fred, and I thought I agreed with you on that. You know, obviously for the kids, you know, hallways are going to be big and everything. It's all relative, right, to the kid that we're talking yeah. about. Um, you know, I felt that the – I felt like the amount of space Relicrimin gives for the kids – especially on Anthem of the Seas, is tremendous. Now, obviously, I haven't, I can't compare it to the Disney fantasy, so I'll take your word for uh, what this is. And I'll, of course, ref- uh, defer also to Billy's judgment, who may or may not have gotten PayPal before this episode. And we'll you know, go from there. But um, I've always felt that the amount of space that Anthem of the Seas has for kids is tremendous. Specifically, there is an open play area for, it's really ultras, but it's really meant for young children, which is a really nice spot. Basically, this is an open room where parents can come and bring their children, and there's a some uh, there's a lot of toys strewn all around the room. There's I think a small little playground, you know, with like a basic slide, and basically it's it's an op- it's a play area for kids dedicated to kids that's available all day long for them to go to. Which, as a parent of someone who's had young children, is a boon because it's just basically an op- it's a, it's a place for the kid to just run around, and you know you get to sit you have to sit there with them, but it's just an open play area which I've always enjoyed, um, which. You know, makes a big difference to us as when we've had uh, kids that were quite at that age. Um, but I was impressed with the amount of space that Royal Caribbean gives there, uh, and I think they do a good job with it. Billy, what's your take on <laughs> Mister? I have no children. What do you think of this uh, this children's area? <laughs> I, I was just thinking uh, how incredibly appropriate it is to open this episode where uh, where I'm the the arbiter um, of things having to do with children. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can tell you that on uh, on rural Caribbean, I've never been told to leave that this area is for children only. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I've, I've seen what I can tell you is while I've not uh, been into those areas on Anthem of the Seas or any Quantum class ship, um, Matt doesn't invite me on those sailings. It's um, I, uh, I I've definitely I get the the impression that on from looking on. Um, Freedom class, uh, Voyager class, and Oasis class ships. That Royal Caribbean has uh, a lot of space. However, uh, Fred, to your point on DCL, the spaces, um, even the even the nurseries, they, they tend to span the the better part of the beam of the ship. Um, I, I think you know you have a case where even if uh, Royal Caribbean has the same amount of space, um, the amount of space that Disney dedicates to to various children's areas for for various age groups is proportionately larger to the vessel size, if that makes sense. Um, I and I, I can get where that's going to make it seem like uh, like maybe it is a little more open. Again, when when it spans the whole beam of the ship, and I know I've, I remember in certain areas on on DCL where you can you know there you have nice uh, windows and stuff. Some are, are interior, so I can I can kind of appreciate how that works out. Also, to how. Royal Caribbean and Disney prioritized those spaces differently. So, uh, you know, you mentioned Fred. Didn't seem like anyone was uh, anyone was going to be hurting for any uh, any activities. You know, there's plenty going on. It just a, a different in feel uh, feel and layout, which which is certainly understandable. Um, so, uh, you know, it, I, I guess I, I'd, I'd kind of end this section on the question, Fred. And, and I'm not guiding you. I'm really curious your take as someone. With uh, what's what are they children? Children. I'm sorry. Uh, do you um, do you feel that the children's uh, areas in general on rural Caribbean 
were um, adequate, that there were enough to do, that, that kids would have a good time? Or do you think that those maybe compromises in the layout and things like that were impactful to, to kids' experiences? No, not at all. They were they – were- Excellent. I mean, really, you know, what they were doing was was excellent. This is one of those cases where, if I'm, you know, I'm I'm kind of in a corner when I have to compare the two. Um, you know, they're both they're both sufficient, absolutely. But uh, I just have to give the the definite nod to to what Disney's doing. And this, you know, maybe the way to best end this particular section is to say we could probably throw a cardboard box down on both ships. And, you know, every five-year-old would have a blast in it. So maybe it doesn't even matter. <laughs> like buying cat toys is what you're saying. Got it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so from, from the Canadian, we'll, we'll take that as scathing criticism of, uh, of Roe. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to tweens and teens. Fred? Yes. Okay. So this is an area where um, we have a lot of experience, obviously, because this is kind of the, uh, you know, the age that our kids were on both ships. And we did a full tour of what uh, Anthem of the Seas had to offer, um, particular the living room area. So that's up on deck 15, I believe. Um, and took a, took a good tour, took a lot of pictures. Kids went in there, uh, actually signed up for the activities, got their bracelets, that kind of thing. Um, but as it turns out, didn't end up spending a, a ton of time in there, if, uh, if I recall, if at all, maybe. Um, but really impressed with this area. Beautiful view. Some of the best views, uh, I think, uh, on the ship were out of the living room area there, especially with those nice uh, contoured lounging chairs with the TVs mounted and things like that. That was that was really cool. Re- really nice uh, area. I was impressed with there. However, the problem is <laughs> when you look at the uh, Edge and the Vibe Club on the uh, on the Disney Cruise Line ships, particularly the Fantasy, they are. I would say the single greatest areas on the entire ship, in particular, the vibe, the vibe on the fantasy is would make every adult jealous. They have their own outdoor area with, with hot tubs. They have a full inside, um, multi-layered club with smoothie bar and dance floor and DJ booth. And it just seemed to go on and on and on at the fantasy. Um, and, also, the the programming on the TCL just, I mean, it just blew us away. We didn't see our son for the first, you know, two uh, two evenings we were on the ship, and I mean, like we went to bed, and he was still there as a you know fourteen year old enjoying the vibe, and that was that's pretty rare for him. So that was kind of interesting, and it also told me that that was something that was you know a really really good program on the ship. You know, it's interesting because one of the nuances of the Royal Caribbean Teen Club that I've seen, observed, and this is the opposite of Fred and uh, or me of Fred this time, because obviously, Fred, as you mentioned, your kids were of, of teens for, for both ships, and I've only observed this. My children are not old enough yet for this area. Right. But it seems like with the teens on Royal Caribbean, they tend to be more – uh, they tend to move around the ship more as opposed to being in the teen area. They certainly spend a lot of time in there, but mm-hmm. you'll see in the cruise compass teen events like on the flow rider or a teen only disco at one of the lounges. And so it kind of seems like the teens meet there at the teen club and then move on to somewhere else on Royal Caribbean. And perhaps that's a different nuance. As you mentioned, obviously it sounds like Disney offers a lot more space uh, to the teens area, but perhaps, and again, I'm just assuming it's just based on what you what you're telling me here, perhaps it seems like on Disney, they tend to spend more time in the club. Thus there is more of, I don't want to say a need, but having the extra large space, like you said, 
uh, invites them to stay longer. So, you know, I could totally understand that. And certainly I'm not going to, uh, you know, I think this is probably the closest apples to apples kind of comparison we can have because obviously both your your kids were able to uh, enjoy or try this out on both ships. They're both the same age. So, uh, you know, I won't say much more else than that. It, it, it kind of makes some sense to me. But I just wanted to give that kind of roaming aspect that you see on Royal Caribbean a little more. Uh, just as a as a point, I mean, Billy, any any thoughts on the tweens and teens on either ship? Yeah, actually, yes, because uh, uh, Fred, I'll tell you, I, I agree with you uh, with regard to vibe. Um, I I remember thinking multiple times touring uh, on embarkation day and on media events and such, going, "Man, I I wish I could hang out here. This is awesome." <laughs> um, <laughs> now, uh, to Matt's point, um, though, and and I think this is something where it really comes down to a kid by kid preference. Um, Something that I've said about DCL for a long time is, uh, and, and it often comes up as when somebody springboards the conversation with, I don't want to sail DCL. I don't, um, either I don't, you know, I'm taking vacation without my kids or, or some people say we don't like kids. I would never say that, Matt, especially about your children. Um, <laughs> but, uh, is that if you don't want to be around children, but you're not looking to take a, um, a, a tip, a, a traditional, um, contemporary or premium market cruise, so Royal Caribbean, Carnival, Princess, Celebrity, etc., that, that DCL is actually a great option. And that's because I think what DCL does with, um, uh, you know, obviously with younger kids, they're going to stay in the area no matter what cruise line, you know, with, with minor exception. But with, uh, with teens and with adults uh, even, DCL tends to keep people separated. Not in a bad way. Again, it depends what you're looking for. If, um, if you sail DCL... And you stayed out of the the main rotational dining rooms, you could barely mix with uh, you know children and, and teens and children and, and even younger kids. Whereas on Royal Caribbean, that's going to happen a, a lot more. Again, which is better, you know, that's up to everyone to decide. I think that cruise lines do. I, I know that cruise lines do put a ton of emphasis into teen areas and to teen activities. What you know, regardless of the physical location, because frankly. And a lot of families, they drive the decisions. Um, Fred, you mentioned certain ages of kids, you give them a cardboard box and they're probably going to have a pretty good time. And, hey, did you enjoy the cruise? Yeah, it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, reg- regardless, teens, however, um, you know, you want everyone to be happy on your family vacation. Well, I don't know what kind of father you are. I'm going to presume, Fred, that you want <laughs> your, your family to be happy on the vacation. Um, you know, that, that's, what people, that's what people want. So if the if the 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 teens aren't having a great time, man, I feel old when I say the teens, but I feel like that was the proper way of saying that Um, that that makes a difference. So that's where we're going to see a lot of focus across the the industry, even when you go into lines that don't focus as much on families, when you get into, um, you know, uh, Royal Caribbean uh, Cruise Limited brand celebrity, you even see focus on teens more than younger kids there for that same reason. So. Uh, it, it sounds to me like they each have some some you know different pluses, and it just depends on on what the kids like. But that there's a lot of focus for this particular demo. Absolutely. Now I think it's gonna. Now Fred, you gave the uh, the nod to the tweens and teens area to the Disney Fantasy, uh, but the uh, the next category, the activities for the active teen, uh, you have it. You had a different kind of take on it. Maybe this lens towards something that uh, Billy and I were talking about, about the, the, the plethora of activities and things to do, if you will, on board the ship outside of the teens area. Yeah, that's exactly right. And 
I mean, the the program for teens is not really just about the living room area. I, I agree with what you said, Matt. It really felt like kind of a drop-in, a meeting place, uh, especially because it was so close to the buffet. And it was kind of like, you know, like maybe, you know, you kind of walk past and think, oh, maybe I'll go and hang out there a little bit. Um, I think that's by design because of the enormous amount of activities in the Cplex. I mean, just unbelievable. We were blown away by what goes on in that place. Um, if you are an active teen like all three of our kids are, that's where they are going to spend almost all of their time. I mean, once we did a tour of what was available there, they just got lost in that entire area. And there's really nothing there's really nothing that's equivalent on the um, on the Disney Fantasy or on any of the Disney ships uh, compared to the Cplex. Again, I think that's why Disney puts so much time and effort into building those teen spaces where, uh, like you said there, Billy, you know, they're meant to be, you know, they're meant to be spending all that time there. They're meant to be separated. Um, I totally agree. You walk around a Disney sh- a ship, you wouldn't think there's any teens on board. It's because they're all in the vibe. Um, so that's kind of, you know, uh, when you're looking at uh, active teens, uh, it, it's clear that the Anthem gets the nod in that particular category, uh, especially when I say active, I'm also talking about, you know, sports, basketball, volleyball, uh, ping pong, um, you know, the roller skating they have there, all that stuff. If your kids are into that, it's amazing. Yeah, I remember uh, when I went on her sister ship, Quantum of the Seas, which was the first Quantum class ship, they had, I was blown away, just like you, Fred, by the amount of stuff there. And they have an Xbox area, and I like playing video games, and I went over there, Fred, and the kids looked at me like it was like the music screeched to a halt, like the record jumped, and they looked at me like, "Really, Grandpa? You're coming in here?" It's like, <laughs> like I can play Halo too. Come on! And uh, I totally felt out of place. I left immediately. But um, yeah, I mean, for teens, it is a, it is just a a a heaven for them because it just seems like they there's so much going on and just a ton of activities there. So obviously I'm not going to uh, say much more in the activities of the active teen there, but it's it really is incredible the amount of stuff they place just in the Cplex, never mind, you know, some of the other activities that are happening around the ship. The the one negative that I would give the Cplex is that it is it is too busy. I mean it's just it's so popular that it's just crammed full of kids, you know, all day, all night, every day. I mean, there was there was no time in the entire eight days that we were on the ship where you could just walk up and partake in the activities at the Cplex. There was always a wait. There was always, um, you know, a sign in or something that you had to do to hang around to do the activity. It was never sure. just kind of a you know show up. You talked about the Xboxes. I mean, there were times where we kind of you know staked out a spot where we could watch some of the action in the gymnasium part. The whole time, keeping a look over our shoulder for a gap in you know in the Xbox activity where we could jump and grab the you know grab the controllers. So remember in if our, there's a remember in our day, C-plex, remember in our day, Freddie, you'd put you'd put a quarter down and then you'd have your space locked in. Oh, the wayback machine. I remember that. The way back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to dining. All right, now now the gloves are coming off here. All right, Fred, take us through the dining. Whoa, I didn't think this would be a controversial <laughs> subject. Let's see. <laughs> Well, uh, spoiler alert, I gave a tie to the uh, in the dining category. We uh, had a great time dining on both ships. Uh, and when I say they, I, we, I mean our entire family. The, uh, the kids, again, surprised us with how much they enjoyed uh, dining. They enjoyed interacting with the hosts on both ships. They uh, enjoyed the, the actual meals, the presentation of them. The fact that they could get different meals than may, they might normally see at home, things like duck, lamb, beef wellington. Uh, we had my middle son Alec ordered escargot every night, you know, of the meal uh, of the of the entire cruise. Uh, 
Um, they loved it. We would give a huge thumbs up to both uh, ships in terms of the dining that they that they offered for us and our family. Absolutely. I, I thought the one thing I'll just add is I agree with a lot of what you said there, Fred. The thing I when I went from Disney to Royal Caribbean, the one thing I noticed was the uh, I, I thought the quality of the food and the um, what's the word the variety of food offered on Royal was significantly better than on Disney. Especially in the main dining room, uh, you know, I while I enjoy certainly a, a great you know steak and chicken and fish, you know, I I like that Royal Caribbean ventured out beyond just the ordinary. I mean, you you mentioned that uh, one of your kids had the had the escargot, which is you know obviously I it, it's a lot of fun to get because who cares if you know it's it's all included, so why not try it? Yeah. Uh, and and but you know you have like the the Indian curries on Royal Caribbean, you have Asian stations uh, in the buffet. Uh, I was I was always one of the things I always think it really does extremely well is the variety of dining on there. In addition to the the basics, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of pastas and burgers and and steaks to enjoy. Um, but I've always thought that that was something uh, nice to have there too. And also, of course, the uh, you know Disney or sorry Royal Caribbean offers more than Disney uh, more specialty dining options in terms of restaurants. Um, which may or may not be a factor in your decision, but certainly something to look at. Uh, I just the reason I said the gloves come off is you can't get you can't give a tie. There's no ties in. Well, there isn't <laughs> well, hockey. I think we might be able to break but, this tie, or well, may, maybe at least shed more light on on the different qualities. Maybe not break the tie. Um, so you mentioned specialty dining, and, and something uh, I'll interject uh, at risk of uh, <laughs> at risk of um, influencing you because I'm a very influential person. Uh, I'll um, I'll tell you what my take is on DCL dining versus rural Caribbean dining. Uh, in my personal opinion, food being a very subjective thing, Royal Caribbean uh, does um, main dining more consistently uh, and slightly better. It still doesn't, to be honest, still doesn't blow me away. Um, Disney Cruise Line, while the number of specialty dining venues and options are fewer, though with you know in the last couple of years with some of the you know brunch and dessert course and all that things have it's opened up some additional options i feel that um disney cruise line does an outstanding job uh, uh consistently outstanding job with specialty dining so i would be inclined to maybe give it a tie but i feel that uh dcl really where they shine is in um specialty dining if we're talking food quality then there's dining experience which is a totally different thing i think um you know dining experience dcl wins uh, so it's about, you know, are you going to be dining in, you know, in a lot of specialty restaurants? Is that where you're spending your time, your money? Um, you know, are you, are you can, how concerned are you with ambiance and things like that? So I'm wondering, Fred, if, if you can maybe clarify a little bit your experience in specialty dining, um, versus the main dining room and how those compare to, um, to Palo and Remy versus the rotational restaurants on DCL. Yes, well, I actually intentionally left out any comments about the signature dining because although we have done Paulo and Remy on the uh, the Disney ships, we did not do any of the signature dining um, on the Anthem of the Seas. We talked about it as a family and just we decided All it right, was no not credit something. here. Podcast over. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I've tried to wiggle around that one. It's just no. <laughs> No, we, we we didn't do it, and it's it's a definite gap. I mean, I would I would love to experience those restaurants, but I, I'm glad to hear you say that. Actually, it isn't the slam dunk for Anthem. In fact, you you might even give a bit of the lean towards the the Palo and Remy on Fantasy. 
Yeah, I, you know, I would say that if you are someone that is going to stay in the main dining room um, all of the time, then y- you might um, you might be better off in Royal Caribbean. I, I don't love Royal Caribbean main dining. I find the cons- the, the experience a little bit um, inconsistent. Um, however, um, you know, yeah, DCL, Paolo and Remy, for, for all of the options in Paolo and Remy, um, have been some really outstanding experiences, you know, things that stand out. And I mean, comparing against lines like, uh, lines like Oceana, uh, restaurants like the Queens grill on Cunard, you know, restaurants at sea that are really known to stand out in the industry. So it depends on what your habits are, but potentially yes, Fred, I I would agree. All right, let's move on to everyone's favorite topic costs. I'm, I'm, I'm rubbing my hands together in eager anticipation, Fred, please take it away. Can we uh, can we skip cost? <laughs> if there was one section of this blog post, and it's fu- a funny story, I could I will tell everybody here. But when we were off air getting ready for this, I told I told Matt I said I wrote this this blog thinking no one's going to read this. Like there's going to be three people that read this, and a, you know a couple likes. That's it. I had no idea. If there was one part of the thing I would rewrite, it would be the cost section. <laughs> so let me say this: when I when I speak about cost, and I, and I would say that I have a lot of experience doing this, uh, having contributed to uh, the books and our website uh, about all, all different types of travel destinations, not just cruising, but also theme parks and uh, in Las Vegas, where I cover a lot of the restaurants there. When I talk about cost, I'm really talking about value. I'm talking about what do I get for the money that I have to pay. So when it came down to cost, they, uh, I mean, the 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 task of comparing how much you know the base cost of one cruise line compares to another is really kind of a trivial thing. I mean, definitely Anthem of the Seas is always going to be a cheaper uh, ship to, to to board than any of the Disney ships. That's fine. What's more interesting to me is how they compare on the value, what you get for your money. So this is really sort of about the feeling that we had on the ship. We spent a lot more money getting on the Disney fantasy, but when we left the Disney fantasy, we didn't feel like it was a huge sting on the wallet the way that we did when we experienced the Anthem of the seas. Sure. It was much cheaper to get on, but I mentioned the nickel and diming, the little things that we had to pay for throughout the eight days, you know, and maybe this is just kind of the dad bias as the guy with the wallet. <laughs> Every time, you know, you swipe that card and you think, oh, there's another 20 bucks, there's another 30 bucks. It just kind of wears on you over time of the cruise. So when it was all said and done, I did give a slight nod to the Anthem of the Season cost um, because I'm thinking of the value. Um because of this nickel and diming stuff, which just, you know, it just, it just kind of bugged me. Yeah, you know, one of the things that – what I like about it – I know you're referring to it as nickel and diming. My always take on it is it's modular. It's the option to do things rather than, than the cruise line rolling it in. Because as you know, Fred, in life in general, yeah. nothing's free. Everything is just if, – if you're getting it, you paid for it. It's just part of the price. Well, exactly. And, my, my favorite catch line on the Disney cruise was, you know, the kids got there and said, oh, my God, it's free ice cream. I said, no, 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 no. It's prepaid ice cream. It's not free. It's prepaid. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so when, and, we, when we booked the Anthem, that's the first thing they said. Are we going to get any prepaid ice cream? <laughs> I'm going to start using that line. I like that. The, um, the thing for me, and this is where I always get hung up on cost more than anything, is, you know, the the problem I have with Disney, we're not – 
it be, they're so far apart from the pure price of the product, you know, the cruise fare, that no matter how much you're paying in soda, yeah, soda is included. It's prepaid, as Fred would say, on Disney. It's not on Royal, but of course, it's like fifty bucks if you get the soda card for the duration of your cruise, give or take. You know, even if you add up the specialty dining, the soda cards, which by the way, specialty dining still costs you extra on Disney. You know, the shore excursion, all these things that you know, the quote unquote nickel and diming. I mean, you're still coming out way ahead of what the fa- of compared to Disney because Disney's charging you you know, two to three times the basic cruise fare. And I get paying a premium for a Disney brand. I really do. You know, and for many years, I was totally on like, look, you're paying a little bit extra for Disney, but it's worth it. But when you're talking two to three times the cruise fare of, you know, of Disney versus Royal Caribbean, I just don't know how you can justify that. I mean, especially because I don't think the experiences are that far apart. We'll get to that part at the end. But, the and this is, you know, something I, I've felt... Uh, this is across the board, not just you know something I've seen in Fred's post. A lot of people, you know, I think a lot of Disney Cruise Line apologists will always, you know, look over this, to kind of glance over it and kind of try to skip over this this fact. But you know, it's not like you're paying twenty five percent more. Okay, I could totally get that. If if Disney was, you know, a little bit more, that's totally okay. I could understand that. You know, it's like you know when you go to the supermarket and you buy an on brand versus an off brand food. You know, like the store brand food versus the name brand food. Okay, you pay you pay a little bit more, but maybe it's worth it to you, right? But in this case, when we're talking two to three times, I don't care how much soda you drink. I don't care how many specialty restaurants you go to. You are not coming out ahead compared to what Disney does, especially because a lot of those things that you're nickel and diming, you know, the specialty restaurants, the, you know, all these things, these would cost extra on DCL, too. Calm down. Calm, Matt. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. <sighs> been there. So actually, right, I, no, I, I want to, I want to dig deeper into this because I think I think this is important. Um, and listen, ultimately, we, we said food is subjective. Um, interestingly, I think there are fewer things in life that are more subjective than than value, because food's subjective, but none of us are eating dirt. Uh, and you know, there, and most people like ice cream. You know, whereas whereas value can mean so much. Um, what you mentioned, Fred, nickel and diming and, and a little part of me wanted to, to freak out and, and, and find out more right then and there. Um, just cause I, I always find it interesting when people talk about being nickel and diamond. And I'll tell you this, this happens, uh, with a number of cruise lines and it's certainly not a, a uniquely Royal Caribbean thing. In fact, a lot of people say on every cruise line, oh, I feel like I'm being nickel and diamond more and more. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess I want to understand better what it is, not because I don't believe you, because everyone's habits are different. Um, I'd also be curious. I'm just going to lay a whole bunch of questions out at once and then hope you're writing these down. We'll answer them all. And, you know, I, everyone will enjoy this four hour long podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm also curious um, what, um, you know, whether whether speaking in, in exact numbers or percentages, you're a numbers guy. You got to have some numbers for me. Um, what the total trip cost looked like, maybe on a per night basis or something like that, um, on, you know, picking a given, and, you know, of course, this varies by itinerary and time of year, but a given fantasy sailing versus the, the anthem sailing, um, that you took. And I know, uh, Len did a great job of, uh, of going over some of those numbers before. Um, what's interesting about the, the idea of nickel and diming to me in cruising, and, and I don't know if this applies to you or not, Fred, but I, I want to say this for anyone listening who, especially those that maybe haven't taken a cruise or maybe haven't taken a cruise in 20 years, is that often 
I hear people talk about nickel and diming and what they're they're discussing oh now this restaurant costs extra this uh you know this particular show costs extra cruising overall the product of cruising doesn't matter what line where in the world the product of cruising is so so much better today than it was 15 years ago than it was 30 years ago the number of options are incredible so i immediately wonder what? Because if you're worried about nickel and diming and you last took a cruise, you know, 20 years ago, I know that's not the case with you, Fred, um, or maybe you've never taken a cruise. It's important to know that what's included, what's complementary in a cruise today on any given line, um, you know, Sands Ultra Luxury Lines where everything's included and things like that, um, is not materially different than what it has been in the past. You say, oh, what about all the restaurants that are up charges? Well, let me tell you about the first, you know, 70 cruises I took in my life. There were two restaurants. There was a buffet and there was a restaurant. And those were complimentary. <laughs> you know, the introduction of, of additional dining venues, whether they're specialty venues, uh, you know, Chops on Royal Caribbean, Remy. Oh, man, I love Remy. On, uh, on DCL. Oh, yeah. or Or even... Um, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, I was, I was, I was on such a roll there, but the, uh, the candy, um, place that they put on, uh, dream and fantasy, uh, wreck it Ralph theme, um, Vanellope look, sweets. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, e- even those, those are additional options. So I don't look at those particular things as, as nickel and diming and alcohol has, Again, except for in the, you know, in, in certain fringe cases and certain lines, alcohol has never been truly included. So I'm wondering, all of that in mind, just for people that are just tuning in and they're thinking about their first cruise or their first cruise in a long time, I wanted to get that out of the way. And now, Fred, I'll finally ask you, what are those things that you feel were you, you were being nickel and dimed on? Not that you weren't. I, you know, I, I want, you know, your, your honest take. I don't want to dismiss that at all. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that these things are relatively relatively minor, and that is not the you know the majority of the 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 gap in the this value difference that I'm talking about. Um, and to be fair, I, I do recall on the Disney Fantasy also feeling at some points like we were being nickel and dimed. In fact, I can remember a specific example at the the movie theater. Uh, on the Disney Cruise Line, the Buena Vista Theater, I believe, they have a you know a little canteen outside with a popcorn machine, and you got to you know it's like seven or eight bucks to get yeah, a thing of popcorn. Me, and it's like just 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 hand out the popcorn, like come on, <laughs> um, you know. So there were there were cases on both ships where that stuff bothered me, and I get that that's kind of that's always been you know kind of a drawback, and people complain about that a lot on cruising. Um, it was the it was. The the soda thing was you know was one of them. It was the 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 thing about our family is that we we like to split up and go different directions. Although the kids did spend a lot of the time together on the Cplex, they rarely seemed to want to do it on the same time. So for us, we needed to be in communication with each other. And on the Disney Disney Cruise Line, the the uh, onboard app not only was it free, it was impeccable. It never malfunctioned it always worked it worked really well on the anthem it was the opposite experience we had to pay for it um so all five of us had separate devices where we had the app installed and added the chat feature and it almost never worked we couldn't connect the connection would get dropped it was a pain um those are two of the examples i can think of i'm trying to think it's also I found the upselling on the Royal Caribbean on Anthem of the Seas to be a lot more intense than 
I can ever recall on the Disney ships. I'll agree with I'm that. Sure, I'm sure it was there, but it's not something that we really noticed. Um, it was kind of an all-encompassing thing. You know, when I think about, you know, the quality and the convenience of the buffet, when I think about the value of the entertainment that we received on on the Disney Cruise compared to Anthem, when I think about the, you know, the, you know, the dining experience that we had, the stateroom, when you take all these little things and add them up, I felt like I just wanted to say that that although that gap that Matt's talking about, I agree, it's huge. We're talking, you know, two times. I think roughly it was like, I want to say like ten thousand on DCL and maybe like six thousand on Royal Caribbean, something like that, um, for the five of us. But you know, I'll, that gap is there. But I want people to know that that it might not be as wide of a gap as you think when you actually finish your seven or eight days on board. I'm going to agree or disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I can't the, agree to that. Yeah, I, I think that the uh, I think that the um, again things that the app and soda. I will give you that all day long. Fine. All right. So we're up to fifty uh, something dollars <laughs> and like thirteen dollars for the app or whatever. I don't even know what it costs for the chat app. I'll give you twenty bucks just for easy math on that. Seventy dollars. And, you know, again, two to three times the difference. I mean, I just don't I, – I, I just – I can't get past that point. And that, well, let me, that's, let me ask, I was, sorry. I was just going to say if, if we do it again, and I think we're probably going to do it again, um, I would get everything – I would pay for everything included. Get it all included. Get the alcohol package. Get the soda. Get everything. Just pay it up front and not, you know, not worry about the nickel and diming. I would definitely do that. So, so that's what I was going to kind of get to because – I think, Fred, something that you're you're saying, but not maybe saying in in, uh, in these exact words, and don't let me put words in your mouth. Stop me if if I'm wrong. Is that one of the things that makes something valuable is not having to worry about them, the perception um, around expenditure. Um, you know, th- there is value yes. there. So something that that I think is interesting. For example, uh, I'll bring. This wasn't complex enough of a discussion. I'll bring a third cruise line into this for a moment. Um, Norwegian Cruise Lines, <laughs> the third largest cruise company in the world uh, after Carnival and Royal Caribbean. They, uh, they did something, started doing something about a year ago that I found interesting um, w- with some minor exception that I won't get into. If you book a Norwegian cruise, Norwegian Cruise Line cruise, excuse me, um, and you are in the United Kingdom, alcohol is included. Now, are they getting a better value? No, they're probably paying a lot more, actually. Um, but certain markets put a lot more value in not wanting to think about certain things. Mm-hmm. So that's what they do. Um, I'm wondering, yeah, and, and, and you seem to have answered this right at the end of your, your last time, would, would you actually have a, um, any change in your perceived value of the product if you prepaid, so maybe the dollar amount was exactly the same, but you didn't once have to think about it, would that, and it's okay to say no, <laughs> would that have actually changed uh, your perception of the value of the Royal Caribbean cruise? I think it would. I honestly think it would. I think there is a lot of value in, uh, you know, in the convenience and in the, and I talk about this later in my blog post, is that a lot of traveling is is you know really about the experience while you're doing it if you you know if you feel like you're being nickel and dimed then you are it affects your experience and oh, there sure. is perception reality 
for sure. There's a there's a there's a a value in prepaying something so that you don't have to think about it. It it's true. It you know it's kind of like those thirteen dollar cocktails taste a lot better if they're prepaid and you're not really thinking about it than they would if you had to fork out thirteen bucks for every drink. You know that that definitely affects things. Fair enough. All right, let's yep. Let's move to ship operations. Okay, this is one particular aspect that maybe people might not think about much in their comparison, but it's this definitely comes from the bias of my job. I mean, <laughs> one of the things that I think about more than the reg- regular traveler is how things operate behind the scenes, how things are organized, how you deliver your entertainment to your customer. Um, and it's something that I I think Disney is a master at. Now, as a bit of a caveat, I as much as I am a Disney fan, I appreciate their entertainment and have, have always done so. I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, I don't think I'm one of those Disney apologists who, you know, loves Disney and is always going to love Disney. Uh, in fact, I've been quite critical of them in recent years, the way that they oper- operate their theme parks and trying to maximize revenue at the cost of the customer experience and that kind of thing. But when it comes to delivering their entertainment to their guests on the Disney ships, they have a huge advantage in in my mind. There were things on the Anthem of the Seas that really boggled my mind. Um, I could make a list. I don't want to go through all of them, but I'll give some examples. At the Cplex, the I mentioned how busy it was. Our kids, and therefore my wife and I, were very frustrated with how difficult it was to experience the activities there. There was no real organization with the sign-up process. In fact, I'll take the bumper cars, for example. We expected that if we went to the bumper cars session at the time it was listed in the compass, that we would be able to partake in the bumper cars. Well, we were mistaken. You had to line up at minimum an hour before the time uh, if you wanted to experience it within the, say, hour that it was, you know, that it was going on which we did the final day. We finally said, forget it. We're just going to go and line up an hour you know, ahead of time and we'll just wait. Stu- you know, why not have a reservation system like you do for some of your other activities that allow your employees to you know, not have to organize this crowd? It makes people, you know, it gives them a reservation time where they can come back and experience it. Like these kinds of problems have already been solved. Why not apply them to you know, the other, other areas? I had a lot of issues with the way that the buffets were designed, or the buffet. We went there, of course, like many people do on our on our first day, and it was absolute chaos. Now I recognize, of course, you know these ships are busy places, and especially day one, everybody's trying to you know figure their way around. But we had to walk around that place for I don't know five or six times before we found tables that were cleaned and ready to go for the next people. There were times when they ran out of cutlery and ran out of plates. Um, It just seemed really chaotic. And that kind of experience was a theme throughout the week aboard the Anthem. It just didn't seem that they were doing things in an optimal way for guests to experience them. And I'm not talking about customer service because I think customer service, that's, you know, you can experience ships maybe where, you know, you get lucky and everyone's really nice and friendly and maybe you have ex- 
and other crews where they're just not. I mean, that it, that can happen on a Disney cruise. That can happen on a, on a Royal cruise. But the way that you go about your operation, the thought and design that goes into the way you get this entertainment to your guests is something that's going to reoccur ship after ship after ship. And I just felt like uh, Royal could learn a lot by going on a Disney cruise and seeing how they do it. I think a, a lot of your comments, Fred, were – uh, I- intriguing, actually, and I think that you have some valid points in there. I think the issue, the biggest issue I have was some of the conclusions you reached. I think in the case of both okay. cruise lines, um, you will find there are definitely some crew members that are better than other crew members, right? You'll see that sure. across the board. Not everybody, they don't, neither cruise line stamps out robots of employees. There are some that are better than others and some that care more than others. And, and that's certainly the case. And I do agree. The bumper cars one, I think, is a great example of something that you're absolutely 100% right. That should be improved upon that. You know, one of the things, it's kind of funny for it because since you and I came from a Disney parks background, you know, my approach was, oh, well, what do we do in Disney World? You show up before it opens and you beat the crowd. And that's how I've always been able to get around that problem is, you know, if the, if the cruise company says it opens at 10 a.m., I show up at 945 and, you know, there's rarely, there's a few people maybe in front of me, but it pales in comparison to if I showed up 15 minutes later after it opened, yeah. you know, then there's a huge line there. So I've at least learned that. Now, granted, to your point, that shouldn't be the case. And they should have, if they, if it is that popular, if it is that crazy, then they should have a reservation system just to simplify it for crew and guests alike. Totally agree with that. Um, I think that, you know, your experience in the, in the Windjammer was, uh, not something I've experienced necessarily. Obviously, you know, if you go to the buffet at 9 a.m., which is what I would consider prime time in the morning, right? Everyone's awake. Everyone's ready to eat. People inevitably go there. It's busy. I think that that's kind of a nature of the beast, but I've also found that, you know, there are other options available and that can mitigate the issue. But overall, I, I've never, I didn't quite reach the same conclusion to you. My biggest issue, and this goes back to the blog post, was you gave uh, Anthem a, a, and I'm quoting here, a big fat F <laughs> in, in operations, which, look, I get it. It's a, you're, you're obviously, uh, there's a little bit of a exaggeration for effect here. Um, and certainly, you know, one of the things I always, the thing I always get from people who try Disney and go to Royal Caribbean is they, there actually a lot of people are surprised by the level of service Royal Caribbean offers, in which I always joke. It's like, what did you think they were going to do? Spit on you? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like I mean, I get yeah. Disney has a reputation, a well-deserved reputation, by the way, for great customer service. But it's not to say that the that you know the the Royal Caribbean crew members are surly or you know kind of no, like no. you know your 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 uncle who you're crashing in their house for the and it's week number three of it. You know, they're kind of looking at you like, really. Yeah. Um, Is there room for improvement? Yes, of course. I think that's true of any organization. I think – but I do believe, honestly, that they handle it pretty well. I think it does behoove you as a guest, and this is true of all ships and all cruise lines for that matter, I think, to, you know, plan ahead and to try to, again, you know, like I said, arrive a little bit early to to an activity, especially if you notice the first time around that you go to bumper cars or whatever. I'm just using that as an example. But, you know, that there's a line, you know, oh. Maybe next. All right, we're going to come back. It's too long now. We'll come back again. But the next time, you know I'm showing up a little bit early to do that. And again, from a Disney Parks background, that's like second nature. You know, that that whole like it's – to me, Fred, it, it's kind of like the people who show up at Disney World uh, on a holiday yeah. at, at 11 o'clock in the morning. And they're like, why is the line for Space Mountain so long? I should – you know, and it's like – you know, it's like, well, if you knew, you should have shown up. You know, you know there's so many things you, you would tell them. Like, well, you really should have done X, Y, and Z. 
Um, that's a little bit of part of it. It doesn't make it any better if you're that guy showing up at 11 a.m. or you're the person waiting for bumper cars. I completely understand that. So, but I think I think the operations level is just a lot closer than you gave it credit for. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you where I agree and disagree with both of you simultaneously. Something that and I'm the it, Canadian. It, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, my application's pending. If you could put in a good word with the I know some people. Queen, Queen. I'm not sure how this works. Um, <laughs> so the. If somebody asked me to describe any given cruise line in one word, that's a tricky thing. Um, but if you asked me one word that maybe wouldn't describe Royal Caribbean Cruise Line, but one one word that describes something that stands out about Royal Caribbean Cruise Line, I'd say it's inconsistent. Inconsistently, I mean, that's... I guess generally you want consistency, but I don't mean like, oh, sometimes things just stink. Um I have, however, experienced both myself and and through other people whose whose opinions I, I trust major inconsistencies in not only quality of service, because you both agreed and understood you can catch anyone on a bad day, you know, Absolutely. Thing, things happen. We all have. But even operationally, uh, Royal Caribbean, and this is true of Celebrity as well, uh, you know, which is a, a Royal Caribbean company. They seem to give a lot of control and power to the officers on board uh, in management positions. And philosophically, I think that's great. Um, you know, as, as someone that has, uh, has tried to, to herd cats and, and run parts of businesses before, I, I value that. I appreciate that. However, the reason that you should do that when you're a business that is – it's not that – cruise lines aren't, aren't franchises. They're not chains, but they're, they're kind of like chains, right? If you see something that's working really well in one location, there's a good chance it's going to work really well in another. So I wish that there was – they did a slightly better job of looking at what works when someone does it, whether it's a hotel manager, a beverage manager, a captain, a, or just you know a head waiter, whatever the case may be. I wish I, I felt that there was uh, a better better feedback loop happening so that, that those positive things were replicated and those negative things were avoided. So what I really look forward to is, Fred, you said it's, it's likely there will be an, another Royal Caribbean cruise in your future. Um, I, I look forward to finding out what differences you notice between the two. And I don't mean differences yeah. between if you sail on a different ship. Um, but I'll give you something that is um, not a big deal either way, but just to give you an idea of how operationally things work different. You can go on two Royal Caribbean cruises, potentially on the same ship, just with different you know, people at the, at the helm, so to speak. Um, and you go to get a towel from the pool, from the pool deck, and they scan your, your key card. And if you don't return it, they may or may not <laughs> charge you for the towel. Other ships... No, you take a towel and you return the towel. They don't. They don't keep track of it. Um, I, listen, I don't really care. It doesn't that doesn't bother me in particular, one way or the other, whatever. But yeah, that's that just is a little tiny but simple thing to look at. They go, oh wow, they have very different policies. You know, depending on who's in charge of each thing. So I'd be curious to hear from other listeners, uh, not really Matt. I'd, I'd hear Marissa out on it. No. <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, on on Anthem, for example, hey, how did not just did you wait in line for the bumper cars? Because hey, maybe we find out there was just some inordinate demand for the bumper cars on your sailing. I doubt that, but not, I don't know. I can't say that that didn't happen. But you know the way that it worked, the way that it was organized, 
what was your experience with that? You know, was was the way that it was done different? Um, I, I know I've seen uh, for ice skating on Royal Caribbean ships, I've seen the way that they organized materially different from one sailing to the other. And on some of those sailings, I've waited or actually turned around because I can ice skate anytime. Uh, I don't, <laughs> it's more of a novelty thing on a ship than something that I want to spend my time doing personally, uh, though I love ice skating. Um, and other times I didn't wait at all. So, you know, these things make a difference. So I, I really wonder how many of these things are the reality of the brand. And I wonder how many of them were that particular experience. And that I'm not, I'm not justifying or defending either line in that way. Um, I personally would like consistency just so that I know what to expect. There's also something to be said for you, you are, I guess one could also argue that, well, inconsistency might, might mean that some people are just going above and beyond, but it sounds like <laughs> not waiting an hour for bumper cars is not going above and beyond. That would just be a good thing. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting that you mentioned that because that, this proves one of my major assumptions when I was assessing this part of it, which is that, well, they're all, oh, they're going to be the same. They're, you know, if I cruise with this, you know, if I cruise on Anthem this week or another week or another ship, it's all royal. It's all going to be pretty similar. If it's not, well, then that actually makes me quite excited for experiencing another Royal Caribbean cruise because it's very possible that this particular cruise, for whatever reason, the way that they went about with, you know, the organization of the of the ship was a little bit subpar. And that that could totally be the case. I would also say, and I and I mentioned this in my blog post, that um, you know, there's two major caveats with my assessments here. One is that it's my one and only cruise with Royal, so I'm going on, you know, this one experience. Um and the other one I've just forgotten. It was a really good one too. <laughs> EPA well, you know, and the other one. Yeah, I forget. <laughs> anyway, so if that's if that's not the case, if they, you know, if it varies that much from ship to ship, then it may just be that this was, you know, a, a, just a bit of a dud. Um, it was also, in this case, it was kind of a death of a thousand cuts. Showing up, like you said, Matt, and, you know, it was a long line for the bumper cars. Ah, it's a big deal. It's popular. I get it. We'll figure this out. We'll go early the next day. But then we went and did things like, you know, my middle son, Alec, is really into the trivia sessions. And we would go, and they had very out-of-date, you know, tri- trivia questions. Things like, you know, who won who won the Tour de France last year? And they would only accept Lance Armstrong as the uh, correct answer. This kind I, was, of I was waiting for who's the leader of the Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, stuff like that. And then we go over New Year's Eve. We wanted to go get a drink from the robotic bar. And it was, I think it was like 1130 on New Year's Eve. And they were doing maintenance on it. You know, there was a huge lineup of people waiting and they were refilling the bottles and doing this stuff. It's like maybe there's a better time that you could be doing that. I don't know. So it was kind of like these little things added up over the week. Another one was we were, it was, we wanted to go to the top deck and sit in the hot tub and watch the movie that was outside. Well, we went up there and there were, of the two hot tubs that were open, or sorry, that were there, one was closed and one was open. Well, there was one where you could see the movie screen and there was where you wouldn't. Well, of course, the one where you, you couldn't see the screen was the one that was open. So, you know, little things like this, like this is an operational thing where somebody's making these decisions and not really thinking too much about what the guest is going to experience. You know, when if you just make those little things, it can add up to a lot. Did you um, now I am leading the witness. Uh, Did you provide um, significant feedback in the post cruise email survey that you got? Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we we did. We uh, and you know, and fair criticism. We complimented them 
on all the ways that we, you know, that we wanted to. And we gave, we listed all of these things. We said, look, because I, you know, I want other guests to have a positive experience on these cruises. I think travel in all its forms is, is a good thing. Um, but just, you know, there are ways that, you know, very simple ways that you can improve things a lot. So yeah, we did. We had a very, uh, a very long, uh, response. Listen, good, good. That's important on any cruise line. I always tell people, the the one thing uh, other than floating that is consistent across every cruise line is that that industry pays more attention to those post-cruise surveys than any other. And in fact, if you go on uh, most lines, not all, but most lines, if you go on a longer cruise, uh, more than, let's say, eight or nine days, you'll get a mid-cruise survey. And, and the same is true there. Um, those are just absolutely critical. They. They, they really, every line pays a lot of attention to those. And it's important. And, you know, I mentioned, in fact, one of the things that I mentioned in mine uh, about uh, Royal is the consistency factor. Because um, there are things that Royal does that I love. I mean, I've been on, geez, in the, in the last two years alone, I think I've been on six or seven, maybe more. I don't even know, Royal Caribbean Cruises. Um, I value consistency, though, and that's one thing to lack. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you provided that feedback. And I, I definitely look, look forward to, to the next sailing just to see um, yeah, what differences you notice, even if they're not good or bad differences. You know, sometimes you're I, – I know I, – I read – okay, I don't read all of your stuff. I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> I read a lot of your stuff, right? And you, you know I'm a, a big fan of uh, touring plans. And I know your, your, your attention to, to detail and objective detail. So I think you'll even find some things that you don't go, oh, that's not good or bad. But, man, it's different. And that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. The other thing that I forgot to mention before was not not only was it our first trip, but this was a New Year's Eve cruise, and I'm sure the ship was full. And so a lot of the criticisms that I that I have can be directly related to the fact that you know there are no empty staterooms on this on this ship, and therefore you know we're maxed out here. And so I have to I have to you know appreciate that and and you know and uh, at least mention that that we're talking about a definitely a full ship here. Absolutely. Well, Fred, I appreciate you coming on here to talk about your experiences and share them in here, especially since it came out to be that I was right all along. Uh, but it's, uh, it's always good to hear from you, Fred. But why and is my course, mic not working anymore? This is what's going on here. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, check out uh, Fred's uh, great work that Billy just uh, mentioned at touringplans.com. It's a, it's a great resource. I think we all three of us can agree that if you're going to Walt Disney World, it is, uh, it's, by far the best resource you can use. Disney to World, do Disneyland, that. Universal theme parks. Yeah, touring plans, man. Swear by That's it. That's right. That's right. So uh, check that on out. And Fred, thank you again for joining us here. My pleasure. Super fun. All right, it's time to answer your listener emails. This is the part of the podcast where I answer the emails that many of you, our podcast listeners, have sent in to talk about. And, of course, you can always send me an email by emailing Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Our first email this week is from Brian, where my wife and I went on Freedom of the Seas for the second time back in December and had a great cruise. We're Diamond members, but we're noticing a disturbing trend. It seems that at specialty restaurants, we keep paying more and getting less. When we first started selling with Royal Caribbean, you can get the Chops uh, Grill and get filet and a lobster. At Giovanni's, there was a filet on the menu along with a great scallops appetizer. At Sabor, there were entrees on the menu other than just tacos and quesadillas. We were really looking forward to eating at Sabor again, but we skipped it when we saw just tacos and quesadillas. We couldn't justify a $19 cover charge for a menu 
that was limited from the last time we ate there. Similarly, the lobster is gone from Chops and the scallops were gone at Giovanni's, leaving a very limited menu, frankly. My question is, have you noticed the same? Have you noticed that we're paying for more and getting less in specialty dining? Brad, thank you for the email. There's no question things are changing. There's also no question that specialty dining has become more and more popular with uh, with guests who go on Royal Caribbean. And there is no question that, yes, the menus have been changing over the years throughout the specialty restaurants. Do I feel like you're getting more and pay- or you're paying more and getting less? Not necessarily. Prices do go up. That's true of everything in life. I mean, you know, a bottle of milk costs more than it did a while ago. Every Everything does, right? Any restaurant you go to, whatever you pay for food today versus 20 years ago or 10 years ago, it's probably more, right? That's an inevitability. But I know what you're getting at, right? Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, there's a couple things to keep it to, to consider, all right? And first and foremost, I, even as an ardent Royal Caribbean fan, always remind myself of one fact. Number one, it's a business. Royal Caribbean is in it to make money. That's their prerogative. And certainly, we choose to go on the cruises for that reason. We choose to eat the restaurants or not eat at the restaurants. I think there are a couple things that um, let me answer your question directly, and I want to kind of talk about your answer, your question. You know, uh, are you getting more and get and are you paying more and getting less? I, I disagree with that in the sense that it is an across the board general trend. Menus do change. I think that's actually a good thing, in the sense that we get new variety as time goes by. If you're a veteran Royal Caribbean cruiser, if you cruise the Royal Caribbean over many many years, you've probably noticed a lot of the same menu. So when there is a menu change. Look, you may lose some things you like. Great example, Chops Grill no longer has the the French onion soup, and instead they have the this wild mushroom soup, which is great. I love the French onion soup. I love the red velvet cake that was at Chops Grill. Doesn't mean it's a bad experience over there. It's just a different experience. Things change, and and that's okay. And um, you know, I know the lobster. It's funny you mentioned lobster and scallops. I don't eat shellfish, so you're probably going to the wrong person for this particular uh, gripe. But. What my, my, my real thought is there's a couple things. Number one, you don't have to eat there. You don't have to eat at any specialty restaurants. And certainly the best way that you can voice your opinion, there's two ways you can voice your opinions about this. Number one, don't eat there, right? Don't pay the cover charge. Because <laughs> if you go there and you pay it, you know, in, with a frown on your face, it doesn't matter. You're still, you know, you're still, they got the money in the end. But second of all, in the post-cruise survey, let them know about that. Say, hey, look, you know, the chops menu used to have lobster included or the Giovanni's menu used to have these great scallops we don't have that anymore and also the third option which is the have your cake and eat it too option is take advantage of the dining packages now this may not solve your problem or your gripe Brian but it will get around the problem because the dining packages that Royal Caribbean offers the two three four five ultimate dining packages all those dining packages that exist they are a great way to bring down the total cost of these restaurants. So instead of going to Chop's Grill on an Oasis class ship and probably paying 40-something odd dollars per uh, per person, when you're eating on a dining package, the price really comes down to like 20-something, which is way less than it used to be. And I don't think, Brian, you would disagree with me that if you looked at any menus, any of these specialty restaurant menus, and you consider the price you're paying with the dining package, that it wouldn't be a still a great value. And I think that's kind of the way to get around it. Uh, and again, let them know about that in the ways that I mentioned. I think that's really important. I'm glad you brought that up, Brian. So thank you for the email. Our next email is from Kristen, who writes, I just picked my first ever cruise on Alert of the Seas, December 2018. I've been listening to your po- past podcast episodes to get prepared and I have a few questions. How do upgrades work, like in episode 210? Is that something that we have to keep an eye out for, or does Royal Caribbean let us know when they are available? Upgrades are something that, generally speaking, Royal Caribbean does not let you know about. It's up to you, or more likely your travel agent, to find out for it. 
There are rare occasions, very rare, Chris, and as in, like, win the lottery rare, that sometimes Royal Caribbean will call, contact you or call you and say, hey, we want to know if you want to upgrade to this room and something like that. It's like, you'll read about it sometimes on message boards, but it's like, I swear, Kristen, it's never happened to me, and I, I think you've got a better chance at winning something in the lottery than probably getting that happening to you, so basically don't bet on it. But if you're looking for, like, oh, you're booked in a balcony, and you want to know when a junior suite price, you know, drops to a point where it's the upgrade is worthwhile for you financially, it's really a matter of you and your and or your travel agent working together to figure out those kinds of things. As an example, one thing I always recommend doing, or I like doing, I don't recommend it, I just like doing because it's fun, is when there are new sales, or periodically, maybe once a week, once a month, logging on to the Royal Caribbean website, doing a mock booking for your particular sailing, and see what's available. You never know. It doesn't hurt to check. And certainly if that happens, then obviously you act on it. Chris, the second question is, I'm cruising and sharing a stateroom with a friend who's already cruising Royal Caribbean before, so she's part of Crown and Anchor Society. On embarkation day, will we have to split up and be in different lines for her to take advantage of her perks, or can I ride her coattail since we are in the same stateroom? I think as you're in the same stateroom, you'll be fine. You know, the, the people that work in the terminal, they don't work for Royal Caribbean, they're port agents. And I've had varying degrees of enforcement of the rule. Quite frankly, I've had a couple times where they've told me flat out, no, you have to go there, you have to go there. No, I've never tried this in the same room. Usually it's been like, you know, I'm cruising with friends of mine, and they're in one room when we're in another room, and something like that. I think as you're in the same room, I highly doubt that would be a problem. Um, but technically, it's not supposed to be the case, but... Um, you know, I think you'll be okay, Chris, and I wouldn't worry too much about it. Obviously, you could always go to their group, but, uh, you know, it's, it's being in the same room, I, I would find it very hard to believe that would be uh, a problem. So, thank you very much for uh, the email. The next email is from Stephanie Waterman. Hello, Matt. I was hoping you'd speak about whether or not to take your passport off the ship at certain ports. Specifically, we're visiting Victoria, Canada on an Alaskan cruise. And what do you do with the Cozumel port? I recall a cruise that stopped in Nassau where the security people just wanted to see your CPAS card and driver's license to get back on the ship. Stephanie, this is a very important topic to me because I get off on a, on a tangent. On, I get up on my soapbox on this one. So, um, I Every port that you visit outside the United States, assuming, Stephanie, of course, you're a U.S. citizen. I assume you're a U.S citizen but any port you visit any port you visit that is not part of the united states you absolutely positively should be taking your passports off with you the reason being is if you get stuck in that port you get sick you get hurt you lose track of time there's a thousand reasons why you might get stuck in that port and forget and miss the ship if you don't have your passport it is a major ordeal to to leave that country because you're in a different country now and the fact that you can stand around and wave your sea pass card and say you're a U.S. citizen, it means nothing. What will happen in that situation without your passport is you then have to go to the U.S. Embassy, wherever that happens to be, consulate office. You then have to apply for a visa, and the consulate office isn't usually like, you know, Walmart. It's not open 24 hours. So you got to go through that whole process, get your visa, and then you can exit the country. You have your passport with you. You leave the country just like you would leave a, a U.S. state. You don't need it. You can leave that then and there. Go to the airport, go to wherever there's an exit point, and you're, you're on your way. The reason to have a passport is for that reason. And leaving your passport in your stateroom is doing yourself a disservice. You may as well not have a passport at all, quite frankly. And I know some people argue with me about this all the time. You know, what if, what if you lose it, Matt? It's a, you know, it's a very valuable thing. I would hate to lose it in port. What if you lose your cash? What if you lose your 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 cell phone? What if you lose anything? No one wants to lose anything. But it's not to say that because your fear of uh, of, of loss or even theft is a, is a reason to leave it on board the ship. It's the opposite. It's Look, you have to be vigilant. This is true anywhere you visit. You go to New York City, you need to be vigilant about your stuff. 
Same is true in any port you visit. And I'm telling you, you want to take your passport with you. I take it off every single port I visit, no matter which one, even Labadee, I take my passports with me. Because, guys, if you get stuck in these countries, you are stuck. You cannot leave that country without an exit visa or, of course, a... Uh, a, a passport. And even in Canada, you know, uh, Stephanie uh, mentions Victoria, Canada. Back in the day, you could go with your driver's license, but now you need your passport to get over there. So, you know, times they are changing, but you got to bring it with you. And again, bring it with you. Get a, there are lots of great accessories. You can get uh, security bags to put it in. I like putting it in my camera bag, you know, because I'm pretty sure I'm keeping a close eye on my camera. I'm going to keep a close eye on the, I mean, there's a thousand ways you can get around that and, you know, certainly make sure you're, you're being safe about it and vigilant. But definitely, definitely, definitely bring it with you, uh, Stephanie. It is almost, it, it's something that I, I get this question a lot and I always, uh, always <laughs> inevitably uh, get off on the soapbox to talk about it. Our last question of the day is from Kurt from Hollywood, Maryland. Yes, that Hollywood, Maryland. We're selling out Alert of the Seas in April 22nd. I've heard suitcases should fit under the bed. Do you know how thick they can be in order to be stored there? Kurt, I actually have no idea what the what the height or width is or whatever. Alert, you'll have no problem at all. I've had that. That's not an issue. I only, The only ship I've ever had an issue with storing the luggage under the bed was uh, Rhapsody of the Seas, a Vision-class ship. But even on Brilliance of the Seas which and Jewel of the Seas, which are uh, Radiance-class ships, which are slightly larger, but not that much older, you can definitely fit them under the bed. I know on Allure, you'll absolutely be able to. I mean, as long as you have, I don't know, standard size luggage, you know, if you're bringing a, a steamer trunk from the 20s, maybe not, uh, but that should work. The other thing you also can keep in mind is a lot of luggage, especially if you have matching luggage, they stack within each other, right? So you take the biggest ones, put the smaller ones inside and stack them that way. And like I said, uh, Kurt, in my experience, all but... One time I've been able, that that has worked for me, and certainly on a lure of the seas. Again, unless you're traveling with some super weird looking luggage, I don't think you'll have much of a problem stacking it there. So, thank you, Kurt, and thank you to everybody for listening to this long episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Thank you so much. And of course, you want to send me your emails? I would love to read them. Send me an email, Matt M A T T at Royal Caribbean Blog dot com. Matt at Royal Caribbean Blog dot com. Matt at Royal Caribbean Blog dot com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.